0: And welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that takes you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football. I'm Johnny McFarlane and joining me are our Transfer Market insiders and pundits extraordinaire Duncan Castles and Ian McGarry. This week, Kieran Tierney is wanted by several top Premier League clubs, but Everton have stolen a march on their competitors and we look at the eye-watering figures that could yet sway the Celtic starlet towards Goodison Park. Cristiano Ronaldo's summer of discontent continues, with Juventus the latest club to be linked. But can the Turin side afford the deal, and would CR7 fancy a crack at Serie A? And, as Chelsea winger Willian has a storming World Cup, Clubs are queuing up to prize the talented Brazilian away from Stamford Bridge. But who's at the front of the line? So we're going to start this week with some news on Kieran Tierney, one of the most exciting young Scottish talents that we've seen in at least two decades. A really, really talented lad. Ian, you've got some news on a potential deal with Everton.
1: Yeah, Johnny, um, this goes back to uh, the story. Um, originates when Quintana changed agents uh, and employed Johnson Barnett um, and uh, David Manasseh who are the joint partners in the Stellar Group who of course famously represent Gareth Bale Um, when a player does that he does it because uh, A he wants to um, increase his earning capacity and B he wants the contacts that they have the relationships that they have to progress his career now from everyone I've spoken to, and that means, that includes people very close to the player himself, <clears throat> there's no doubt he's genuine. He loves Celtic. He's a Celtic supporter. I think the Celtic fans um, have definitely engaged with him for that reason. We saw him with a loud hailer after the Scottish Cup final win, singing with him, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. I think, ideally, Kieran Tierney would want to stay at Celtic. However, um, I think he sees that his career would be limited in doing so and that his agents have now And I'm told that Celtic are very unperturbed and very calm about the fact that his agents are actively marketing him in the Premier League. But also have agreed, in principle, a deal with Everton, which could be worth around £85,000 per week to the player. And that will be including step-ups per salary per year of the contract, a five-year contract. So by year five, he would be expecting to earn in the region of £140,000 per week. Uh, should he not even be upgraded, uh, as many young players are, during the original period of contract. So it's a very tempting one for Tierney. Um, Everton's a traditional club, very much like Celtic, um, in terms of their heritage, uh, tradition, history, etc. I think he would play every week. In Marco Silva, would be playing under probably one of the most progressive young coaches in the English Premier League. Um, And also, I think the financial security that would give Tierney... And importantly, his family as well. I think there's a, 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 an element of that involved in this particular transaction. What's not clear, Johnny, is whether or not Everton will be the only club who's interested because we know that Tottenham and Manchester United have expressed interest um, periodically. And in fact, Duncan, I think Jose Mourinho's even watched Tierney in person. Would I be correct in thinking that?
2: I think that is correct. Yeah, I think he's uh, one of a number of left-backs that, that, that Jose and um, his coaching. and his staff uh, scouted in person last season as they as they look for a solution for that
1: big problem area that Manchester United have so I mean there you go Johnny I mean look you've got three of England's top clubs interested in Tierney Um, I have had conversations with people close to Celtic they seem as I said to be very calm and I think uh, very uh, open to the idea of selling I think the wage bill at Celtic Park has increased exponentially in the last three to five years. Um, I think some £55 million, pounds, if, I'm, if I'm correct, uh, approximately, now being paid in wages because of the significant upgrades and the upgrade also in players like Odson Edouard coming from PSG uh, for €10 million. Euros. I think uh, the John McGinn transfer could easily cost, in total, around £5 million, pounds, albeit with just a, an upfront payment of about two and a half. So So, Celtic have to... They've got to gamble on making it through Champions League qualification. Four rounds, remember, that's a big ask, even though they have done it successfully. But um, that Champions League money doesn't come easy, um, even to get in the group stages. And this, in selling tyranny, well, Celtic fans will be annoyed and I'm sure frustrated that they'll lose one of their best young players who is clearly, you know, in the terms of the song, one of us. Um, I think Celtic need an insurance policy financially that they might not make it to Champions League football, whether it's this season or next season, whatever. But domestic domination in Scotland does not pay. It doesn't pay the wage bill, and it doesn't pay the operating costs at a club like Celtic. So they, they need an insurance policy, selling Tierney for around £25 million, of which they'll get £18 million approximately up front, then 7000000 million add-ons, which I think Tierney will easily achieve in terms of appearances, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. It's um, is good business for Celtic in terms of finances. Not so good business in terms of fan relation and everything else. But look, we also, Andy Robertson moved from Hull City to Liverpool and then played a Champions League final last season. If you're Keaton Tierney, I think the idea of playing Champions League final rather than just being you know, whacked out at the group stage year on, year out, um, is probably more attractive as well. No disrespect to Celtic or, or, or the club itself, but the fact is, um, maybe not at Everton, but who knows, as I said, Um, Robertson went from Hull to Liverpool if Tierney signs for Everton then there's nothing to say that he wouldn't go to a Tottenham Man United uh, or an Arsenal etc at some point in the future Um, I think it's interesting that the Celtic at the moment have not agreed a fee and that uh, the club and most certainly the agents are currently effectively marketing the player to other clubs to say look everyone have agreed a contract with the player what you need to do is offer more money and then we can talk about a contract with you. But for Tierney, and, and again, I'd you know, defer to Duncan on this, would Tierney be an automatic first choice at Manchester United? Or would it be better off going to Everton where he would be an automatic first choice?
2: Look, I think there's a, there's a lot of strands to this. One thing that is very clear is there's a shortage of top class left backs um, on the market in European football at present. Um, and therefore Kieran Tierney's value is higher than it probably should be in terms of his development as a player so far and that's not to say he's he's not an excellent player he's not an excellent talent he is he can play not just left back he can also play on the, the left side of um, of a back 3 which is something that appeals to to his uh, his potential suitors but when Uh, You know, products in short supply and left backs, good left backs are in short supply. The price goes up. Um, We saw what happened last summer with Manchester City um, spending 50 million to to buy Benjamin Mendy. Um, We see what's happening this summer in that Manchester United decided to go for Alexandro. Um, they've put a deal in place with the player, the player wants to come and Juventus are holding out for upwards of 60 million euros for the player because they see that that market and are thinking, well, we, we can cash in big time here. And I think that's what Celtic's thinking is with Kieran Tierney. Um, they see that this summer there could be a very high fee to be made from Tierney and that, that fee might not be so high down the line. I think also... Um, with Celtic, we, we've got to bear in mind that in European terms, they are a selling club. They may buy the best talent from the rest of Scotland um, and, um, and handicap any club that looks like competing against them. Um, and they, they may be able to easily outmuscle everyone financially in Scotland. But ultimately, their strategy has been to look for talented players outside the Scottish League, bring them into... Um, Celtic, where they can they can uh, be trained in a to- in a top club, um, get Champions League football experience, with the idea you can sell them on at significant profit, probably to the English Premier League, in the way they have done with Virgil Van Dijk and um, Victor Wanyama in the past. Stuart
1: Armstrong as well, recently, also Southampton. <laughs>
2: Yes, it's handy they have Southampton there to buy. They must have been very, uh, very pleased that Southampton escaped relegation last season because that was (laughs) one of the standard channels almost disappeared. But for for Celtic, they're looking to follow that strategy. As as Ian's pointed out, they put their wage bill up a lot. They are they have a high risk um, on their. They're the biggest source of their earnings, which is Champions League uh, group stage revenue every season because they have to go through qualifiers. So even though they've managed to put money in the bank over the last few years, the, just one bad summer, um, you know, a, a, a red imps summer that gets gets even worse and, and two games of, of um, embarrassment rather than one could put, the, put a serious dent in their finances. And if you talk to the people um, involved with some of the players... Um, who are targets for English Premier League clubs? They are very clear that Celtic have actively wanted to sell them. So Musa Dembélé in January was marketed by Celtic. Um, when Brighton came in w- with an offer, Celtic did everything in their power, I'm told, to try and persuade the player to leave. The player didn't want to go, so they did the the income they were expecting in that transfer, and we're talking about 20 million pounds, um, they're in that situation again of trying to market Dembélé. They haven't been able. To to get the, the transfer fee they want yet, so then if you're Celtic, perhaps the consideration is, well, we might not be able to get all the money we need from Dembele and we, we see that the, the player is being very careful about where he goes for his next move and wants to do it in his own terms so perhaps we have to move on to Kieran Tierney, who, who we know there is, a, there is a great market for in England. I think the difficulty in all of this is going to be persuading the player to leave because uh, he's he, he's unusual in the modern era in that he is, you know, a, a, a serious fan of his club and has, you know, resisted moves, resisted interest in him for quite some time. Um, what is helping Celtic's cause is, is he's with a company like Stellar, who um, is a huge agency which is dependent on, on making multiple transfers every year and will push for these transfers. Um, when it suits them, when the big commission can come, and um, and have been looking to move Tierney since they um, they took over as representation.
1: So I think uh, I think Johnny. In, in sort of summary, I think you know what Duncan says is right. The player is very much heart in Glasgow, but I think his head may well now be in the Premier League. And um, I don't think this will be as smooth as um, some people seem to think. And I do think as well that um, certainly in social media terms, and a lot of uh, our listeners will have seen that there's been a lot of patronising Everton fans saying, you want, you want 25 million quid for a guy who's only played SPFL, etc, etc. Well, when was the last time your Everton players played Champions League? Because Kieran Tierney has. And Kieran Tierney has played, uh, represented his country at international national level as well. This is a young guy, okay, who may be untried in the Premier League, but he's certainly got experience at top level football. And I've got no doubt, Whatsoever, that he will be a success in, in the Premier League. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of those people who are um, naysaying, if you like, and taking the mickey out of the SPFL because of Tierney's um, price tag of 25 million, I'd say this James Madison to Leicester City from Norwich City for twenty seven. Well, have a think about that.
0: And also I think if you talk to anyone in Scotland they'll tell you that Kieran Tierney or certainly most people will tell you that Kieran Tierney is more talented than Andrew Robertson.
1: Yeah, I agree as well, Johnny. I think I think there's more to him than, than Andy. Andy's been brilliant for Liverpool and will continue to improve but I think Tierney's got more natural talent in his game. Um, and I think he also, he, you know who he reminds me of? Ashley Cole. Ashley Cole, despite his slight physique, could attack like a left winger and had that brilliant burst of pace as well. But he was a terrier in defence and his his pace allowed him that if you got past him, he could get back at you and he would tackle you from behind and take the ball first. And Tierney reminds me very much of Ashley Cole. Um, And Ashley Cole was probably, or maybe is, the best left back in the Premier League era. So, you know, that's high praise, but that's how much I rate Kieran Tierney. Uh,
2: Myself, I I would say that I'd have Patrice Evra as the best left back in uh, Premier League history. Um, but I, I I think Ashley Cole was uh, significantly underrated and, and we'd be up there beside... By
1: me, be Duncan, apparently, because I gave him a three for the game against Portugal at year 2004.
2: That must have gone down well.
1: <laughs> well, put this with the team, the, the team bus uh, the next day, we're all shouting and, into the phone because um, someone held the phone up to, um, I wouldn't say who, one of the players... Uh, Three out of ten, you're having a laugh. The entire team bus was singing to me down a mobile phone after they saw the Daily Mail that morning. Well, look, okay. so significantly underrated is a yes.
2: <laughs> what I can tell you is Kieran Tierney doesn't get three out of ten from any other top scouts in Europe. And um, having talked to a couple of, of the guys who are uh, key talent spotters, they they rate the player extremely highly. They like the physique, they like the technical ability and they see him as a Premier League player. The only question they have is whether the next move for him is to go straight to an elite club like Manchester United or whether he's better off going to a middle tier um, club which Everton you would say could be a good candidate if they get their squad sorted out and um, and, uh, and make themselves uh, competitive this season rather than, than that sort of dinosaur squad that they had um, last season. Um, so so you, you've got that option for TNA. Do you go straight to Manchester United um, and not be sure that you, you, you get a starting place straight away, um, have to fight for it and have the extra pressure of being at a club like that, or do you move to a club like Everton where you probably will be a starter every week and you can develop slightly out of the,
0: the limelight? OK, well, moving on from one of the biggest names in Scottish football to the biggest name pretty much in world football, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, although I know there'll, there'll be messy disciples who'll be me just for saying that. Um, but Cristiano is being linked with a move to Italy, to Turin, to Juventus. I suppose the question is, Duncan, can they afford it? I think they can.
2: Um, certainly uh, talking to people... Uh, connected with Juventus this morning um, that was my question can they afford to do it, can they afford to meet Cristiano Ronaldo's salary demands and can they afford the transfer fee on top I'm told they can afford the salary demands, so we're talking um, €2 million euros net a year um, as, a min- as a base um, wage to get Cristiano Ronaldo to Juventus, and I'm told they can do that uh, the question mark is over what price Real Madrid are going to put on the player, um, if they can't come to agreement to keep him, and if things continue as has been looking for several months now that he will have to leave, and that that's been the worry for Cristiano Ronaldo's representatives is exactly how much are Madrid going to ask, and I I wonder I wonder I don't know but I wonder if this um, story came out in the Spanish press. As part of Madrid's strategy to get the the transfer fee up, he's got a one billion euro release clause. No one is going to pay one billion euros, and uh, given the circumstances of of him of the of Florentino Perez reneging on on a promise to increase his salary and put him on terms with with Messi and Neymar, it, it would be completely unjustifiable for them to expect that transfer fee. I think. Um, Ronaldo's representatives are trying to get the fee down to around 100 million euros, which they think is accessible for, certainly for Paris Saint-Germain. Juventus, I think, can just about do that. However, whether the club itself is willing to do that is going to be a question mark. What I'm told is that um, Allegri, the coach, is very keen on the transfer as part of this um, overhaul of the squad that he demanded um, as a condition of remaining... At Juventus for another season, um, and turning down approaches from clubs, which actually included Real Madrid uh, and Arsenal this summer. Um, story we talked about several months ago in, on on this podcast. Um, so Allegri sees Ronaldo as being uh, a massive addition to achieve the target he set himself for remaining at Juventus, which is to win the Champions League. And you can see from a football point of view, it makes perfect sense uh, to, to spearhead that overhaul with Ronaldo, move Higuain on to another club, um, massively upgrade the attack, add, add, add the, that intensity of desire to win that Ronaldo has to the team. Whether the Juventus, who have been... Traditionally quite conservative in recent years in the transfer dealings, they they're a club that um, will look to take money when the money is on the table, and, and the way they did with Paul Pogba, and then reinvest it wisely around the, the, the team. They're prepared to go that route. I'm not sure. I still see Paris Saint Germain as a, as the um, as the more likely um, destination for Cristiano Ronaldo because the financial issue is zero in terms of. Qatar being ready to pay the money. The only issue there is getting it through FFP. And that, of course, with Paris Saint-Germain, involves moving players out. Um, And we should should note here that a player that Madrid have been interested in and other clubs such as Manchester City are interested in taking if PSG decide to shuffle the decks in a particular fashion is Kylian Mbappe. So there's a lot going on here. Um, Juventus is real. And, and I think realistic, if Allegri can convince the board to do it, whether it's the ultimate destination, I, I think we've got to wait quite a while to find
1: that out. I think it's interesting that <clears throat> you know a few days after Portugal exit the World Cup that right away Marca have a, a front-page splash about Juventus' interest in, in Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, I think there's a... Again, we are, every transfer that now happens above the 100 million euro sort of uh, benchmark, we have to ask what the implications are for FFP because, <clears throat> as um, Duncan brilliantly um, predicted on transfer window last week, AC Milan subsequently received a two-year ban from European football for transgressing FFP. Now, Juventus would have to look at you know, what they could do to offset that amount of money, not just the fee commanded by Real Madrid for, for Ronaldo, but also the net salary as well. Um, now, we've talked about this before again, but I think Paulo Dybala could, could well be uh, a pawn in this negotiation and someone who could offset part of the fee. I don't think he's number one on Real Madrid, Madrid's um, transfer wanted list. I think that, that player is, is Kylian Mbappe. I think um, Neymar is also still we have to say, a possibility. Um, so you've got effectively three of Europe's biggest and old, uh, biggest clubs, financially, and two of the oldest and most traditional in Madrid and Juventus, kind of bargaining and bartering with each other with regards to how they can move players in and out <clears throat> and still fulfil their FFP obligations. So I still think that Real Madrid would rather um, deal with PSG. And they would do that on the basis of Neymar, Stroke and Mbappe. Uh, although Mbappe is not a PSG registered player yet because the um, terms of his loan deal, which turn into a, a permanent deal, uh, that that expires on July 30th, 30th to my knowledge. And something, so it has to happen by then one way or the other. So I reckon what we're seeing is, is the aggressive marketing of Ronaldo um, to other clubs, not just by Real Madrid, but by his agent, George Mendez. Um, I was tickled by um, uh, a colleague of ours, Filippo Ricci, um, who is the uh, Italian correspondent in, in Europe, both London and Madrid, um, for Italian press, who uh, listed some of the things that would need to happen um, for uh, Cristiano to move to, to Juventus. And number five was a little something for George Mendes, which I thought was lo- lovely coy. Translation, Kaki Kose. So uh it was very nice. I think maybe more than a little something for George would be required in Cristiano's transfer. But um more and more. And we spo- you know, we have discussed Cristiano, you know, over every week almost. It feels like for the last nine, ten weeks, he will leave Real Madrid this summer because he's not happy with either his place in the team or the contract that they have not offered him. So we all have to prepare ourselves that there's going to be a Cristiano transfer. Um, and I still think and agree with Duncan that Paris Saint Germain is the most likely option. I think it's a shame because I think with Juventus' genuine interest, shows that at 33, a club like Ju- Juve, who have been, you know, peripheral, almost Champions League winners in the last two years, do value him still. And so they should. Where are Real Madrid going to replace his 50 odd goals a season? How are they going to do that? Okay, Bappi, yeah, great. But he's probably the only one who's going to give you those, that, those goal tallies. So if Madrid are so desperate to get rid of him, then I'm just you know, a little bit disappointed that no one in the English Premier League has you know, shown a, a real tangible interest in him. Because I think he's still worth the money. I really do. And I think he would light up any club. So um, you know, I just want to say, Watford, get your checkbook out.
2: Yeah, a couple of additional things here. Um, we should say that Juventus have been very close to winning the Champions League. The last few years, so if you put the best player in the Champions League into that team, then they really are genuine contenders to to win uh, the title that they've, they've created. I agree, Duncan. So agree. So, from a football point of view, it makes huge sense. Not just to Juventus, but also to Cristiano Ronaldo. Who remember, if he goes to Juventus or Paris Saint Germain for that matter, and wins the Champions League, will then have done it at, at three different clubs. <laughs> which is, which is quite an achievement for any player. Also, um, I remember interviewing Patrice Evra at Juventus Stadium um, a couple of years ago, um, and he talking in terms of how impressed he was by Juventus as a club, as the organisation of the club, the way Allegri coached them, and the way um, they uh, trained him and treated him. Uh, from a physical point of view, when he arrived there. He said that he'd played most of his career with, I think it was a stomach ulcer problem, which hadn't been detected. And Juventus picked it up within three or four months from being there and uh, and completely turned around his physical condition in, in the way that he wasn't going through pain through matches and was able to to run further than he had before, which which is quite remarkable when you can remember what, what a player he was at Manchester United. And he's never one you would have questioned it on on physical terms so obviously Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't need to look after his body Um, he's very good at that but you put him in an environment where um, everyone surrounding him is working that way and the coaching is working that way and the the tactical uh, situation is set up around him that is going to be appealing to him as as a player so so there are you know when I first heard Juventus mentioned, sorry, I'm surprised about that, but the more I think about it, the more sense it has to it. And one final point is that um, Ronaldo's agent, George Mendes, has already done business with Juventus this summer, and he moved Cancelo, um, the Portuguese right-back, who really should have been in Portugal's World Cup squad. I think if you watched uh, Ricardo Pereira's performance um, against Uruguay the other night, you would see that that, that was a weak um, link for Portugal in that key game. Jean has just moved there. So there's the, the building blocks are in place for this deal, if Allegri and um, uh, can convince his board to support him
0: in this way. What about Ronaldo himself? Because he's always seemed like a guy who's got a great sense of his own legacy and his own destiny. Would he see, having had uh, that triumvirate of great leagues, Italy, England and Spain, as being part of his story, would Juventus be attractive to him?
1: I don't think there's any doubt about that, Johnny. I mean, as much as Serie A has has declined in terms of its um, financial power and uh, prestige status in the last 15 years, going to a club like Juventus is going to one of the great, great clubs in world football. And, um, okay, they've more or less You've been a procession to their um, Scudettos over the last uh, four years in particular. But as Duncan really points out, the carrot for Cristiano Ronaldo is partly financial because he doesn't believe that he's being paid what he's worth currently compared to what Neymar and Messi are being paid. But it is his legacy. And to win the Champions League with three different clubs, I think there's only one other player who's done that to, that comes to mind anyway. Um, so to do that would be historic, and also um, you think about lifestyle. So Turin, Madrid; it's a, it's a very very nice life. I've been up there, you know, interviewing players and managers before. It's a gorgeous place to be able to play, um, base yourself and your family, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and I think, look, would it be would it be more or less challenging than playing in League A for Paris Saint Germain? I'm not sure. I think it'd probably be harder to play in Serie A than it is to play in Ligue 1 for Paris Saint Germain, given that how easily they ran away with the title last season, um, as well as the cup. So you know, playing for Juventus. At least you come up against some other great clubs like Lazio Napoli, Milan, Inter, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, et cetera, and it's all about Champions League as well. So yeah, I, I don't see why Cristiano would not be attracted by by U V. Look, the other thing as well is you know they've sold out their stadium for next season. You know they. They have very few um, available seats on any given match day because of their season ticket demand. So again, it's not quite Santiago Bernabeu where you're getting 95,000, but you're getting a very partisan and very, very vociferous support. And Cristiano Ronaldo is a kind of player who would be an absolute hero there, so
0: why not? The Transfer Window is looking for a new sponsor. A deal would put your company at the top of our show and expose your brand to the thousands of Transfer Window listeners. If this is something that appeals, please get in touch via the usual channels on social media. Moving on now to a player whose performances at the World Cup uh, have no doubt uh, heightened interest and perhaps even uh, improved his value. I am talking of Brazilian right-winger Willian. Ian, what's the latest on the player
1: well, William has been a subject of transfer speculation for some months now, Johnny. Um, mostly from Manchester United, interestingly, um, because Jose Mourinho uh, very much was a, a big fan of his when they, they worked at Chelsea together, uh, and obviously we know that um, Jose is trying to improve his um, supply line to Romelu Lukaku for next season from both flanks. However, um, the latest on William is that. Um, Having spoken to people um, at Chelsea, they are willing to sell. Um, the fee that they hope to achieve be around 70 million pounds, which in the current market I don't think is excessive. I think it might be a little bit extravagant, and maybe he will go for less, like less than that, or let's say 50 million pounds plus add-ons, etc., uh, as is the way. Um, but the, the club leading the chase are Barcelona um, in terms of William's services. Uh, the fact of the matter is, as we all know, that they went you know, almost, not just through up the garden path, but they were knocking on the door with uh, Antoine Scaredicat of Atletico Madrid, who then obviously signed a new deal with Atletico Madrid, having also turned down Manchester United last season. And uh, Messi and Suarez uh, have complained to coach Ernesto Valverde that they're weak on the right side, they need more creativity, they need someone who delivers the ball quickly into the centre of the pitch so that they can then do their thing but uh, Barcelona are looking to strengthen because they know that Madrid are as we've already discussed today on the podcast are looking to strengthen significantly themselves so for next season's um, La Liga title never mind the Champions League tilt Barcelona are looking to um, augment what they already have in in a, a very creative squad Williams is the kind of player who will fit in perfectly with the Barcelona system and the, and the philosophy and setup in terms of the way he plays he will also give him a little bit of an edge in terms of dribbling because he is capable of that as well. And of course, um, at the moment, he's not even anywhere near the highest-paid player at Chelsea. He's, he's middle order, really. And um, given that he's he's been there for quite some time, but he's nowhere near the sort of two hundred fifty thousand pounds a week that Aidan Hazard earns currently. So, uh, with Chelsea in such kind of let's just say state of um, either stasis or chaos, depending on who you hear or listen to with regarding. Um, who the next coach is going to be, who's or who is or who isn't getting transfers, since Michael Eminel, the Sport Director, left, then I think there's an opportunity here for both William and any interested club to get him out quite quickly. And as you said, I think his performances so far in Russia and the World Cup have uh, improved his, um, his value and certainly improved the desirability to move to another club. Uh, I'm not sure how uh, much or how... Um, resolved Manchester United and Jose Mourinho are uh, with terms of getting into bidding war but Duncan uh, you know that Jose has been looking at William for quite some time
2: Well he tried to sign William last summer uh, would have taken him if it had been possible to get him out of Chelsea uh, the problem was that in contrast to Nemanja Matic he who was, he was prepared to do what was required to get himself out of the club and, and Nemanja actually did it in a very uh, clever and intelligent fashion which is something we can probably discuss in another podcast um, William wasn't going to go down that route um, and the United made a decision quite quickly that it was going to be impossible uh, certainly to take both players out of the club and that um, William's uh, reluctance to to take the club on to get out was meant that was an impossibility last summer um, since then uh, we've, we've had the, you know the catastrophic Season where almost everyone's been at war with each other at Chelsea. Um, we saw Willian's reaction to um, Antonio Conte after the after winning the FA Cup, um, blacking him out of the the pictures he placed on Instagram of the of the team celebrating. Well, I think Willian is one of several senior players at Chelsea who are are saying what on earth is going on at this club? What what do they want to do? Who's the manager going to be? Who are they going to buy? What? Is the ambition, now we're out of the Champions League, does the owner even um, want to retain his uh, ownership of this club? There's so many questions over Chelsea that players, top players, are um, readying themselves to leave if the opportunity comes. I know that Chelsea have for several months gone into this window with the uh, preparing for the possibility that they might lose Eden Hazard and Willian. Um, because of their contract situations, both uh, in need of renewals, Williams got two years left. So it, it wasn't a case of actively wanting to sell um, either player, but a case of knowing that they were in a, a potentially compromised position and they needed to think about replacements if the, the players got in. Ed, and as our case, a, a, the offer from Real Madrid he was looking for. And William, well, would it be Manchester United? Now they seem to have one from Barcelona. Um, one thing, factor that's important here is that uh, one of William's representatives is Kia Girabhin, who is um, one of the most trusted agents at Chelsea, does a lot of transfer business for, for the club and has done for a long time. And uh, I'm told he was in Barcelona last week for a meeting. Um, and after that, that that meeting in Barcelona, the story of the uh, Barcelona bid came out. Does it make sense for Barcelona to buy William? Um, well, what they're looking for apparently is a, an explosive player to liberate Messi. So once again, Barcelona's transfer policy is being um, orientated around. Lionel Messi, the, the, the player that they gave the richest contract in history to just a few months ago. Um, and apparently despite his, his great skills as a footballer, he needs um, another um, uh, another high-cost winger.
1: That's Leo That's Messi on the form <laughs> They there suggesting that you, you may be just dissing him there, Duncan.
2: I, I think he's busy still complaining about the Argentina Football Association, isn't he, for, for costing him <laughs> Another World Cup, um, so Barcelona are, are trying to uh, solve the problem for their best player again by um, pursuing a player like Willian, um, who they think will will uh, improve their tactical options. Um, I think yes, there's a there's a potential for for Manchester United to come back in there, but uh, the price is high. Um, they've looked. They've been looking at other targets. Obviously, Gareth Bale is um, is a strong possibility for them because of the situation at Real Madrid. They have to wait and see what Bale's ultimate decision will be in terms of um, is he going to get game time under the new manager and will that satisfy his complaints with Madrid. But um, from Chelsea's perspective. Uh, a sale outside the Premier League would be far preferable to moving another of their key players um, to Old Trafford um, in successive summers, especially having seen how well Matic did for United last season.
1: I think it's true, John, uh, Johnny and Duncan, that um, Chelsea don't want to go through another PR stroke, play stroke, competitive debacle that transpired with Massachusetts' transfer from Chelsea to Manchester United last season. Um, and that will definitely influence um, the decision over William regarding his destination. Um, at the same time, I, I do think that Barcelona have satisfied William's contract demands in terms of um, the discussion with Jarabchian and the club. And it's now just really about um, agreeing a few with Chelsea, which of course is very difficult because. No one actually knows who they should call at Chelsea at this moment in time to talk about things like fees and how they get a player out of that club because um, they are in such a state of flux. Since Emanalo left, there's no direct sport director who everyone, um, Emanalo was their touchstone and agents and other sport directors and clubs, etc. He's not been replaced. Graskaya, who controls transfers at Chelsea, uh, tends to be quite elusive um, with regards to who she speaks to and who she doesn't. So um, I would expect... Look, Williams still involved in the World Cup as well, so we shouldn't forget that and that he will, you know, obviously be focusing on that and quite rightly. But I think this is one that will be resolved more likely towards the end of this month or the beginning of August.
0: Talking of Chelsea, there is one player, another one that's doing, certainly had a good World Cup before uh, Denmark were knocked out. It's, uh Casper Schmeichel, uh, and he could be someone who might interest Chelsea. Should uh, Thibaut Courtois make good on his decision not to sign a new contract?
2: Yes, um, I think Thibaut Courtois is the prime example of what we've just been talking about, disgruntled Chelsea players trying to get out. Thibaut Courtois has made no secret of this. He wants to leave. He wants to leave this summer, if possible, Um, if he doesn't get to leave this summer, he's not going to sign a new contract. He's got one year left in his current deal. He's been offered a huge um, uh, renewal from Chelsea, rejected that, is prepared to take less money to go elsewhere, um, and has made it clear to Chelsea he will leave in a year's time. So Chelsea now have this decision, which is, uh, do we hang on to the goalkeeper who we value at 100 million euros um, and lose him for nothing in a year's time? Uh, and see how he plays through a season of, of disgruntlement? Or do we cash in um, as best we can uh, now? The problem in addition to that is that Courtois only wants to go to um, certain clubs. Um, there's been interest from Paris Saint-Germain, but Buffon is headed there. So that that, um, that exit door is closed. Um, Real Madrid persistently in contact with them, but no actual firm offers, so he's not convinced that uh, Madrid will turn into a serious deal. Or Atletico Madrid is the former club where he spent three years on loan from Chelsea. To get to Atletico Madrid, Atletico have to sell Jan Oblak, who um, is wanted by Liverpool, but according to uh, people close to Oblak, doesn't want to go to Liverpool. So the, (laughs) the exit to Atletico is problematic for Courtois. Um, Chelsea, obviously, if they decide to cash in on Courtois, need a replacement. And Kasper Schmeichel has been presented to them as a a potential replacement. And they're interested in in the possibility of taking a guy who has won the Premier League title, uh, been an established, reliable performer in the Premier League for several years, and would be available at a relatively uh, inexpensive fee. Um, I believe Leicester City were prepared to deal for around £20 million um, for Schmeichel. There's another way in which uh, Schmeichel fits into this this goalkeeper merry-go-round in that the the other club which has showed serious interest in Schmeichel is AS Roma. Roma have um, their own uh, desirable goalkeeper, Alison Becker, Brazil's number one, um, who keeps on um, having clean sheets at this World Cup, wanted by Real Madrid, would like to go to Real Madrid. Uh, Chelsea have made an inquiry about uh, Becker. Not entirely clear whether they were doing that to try and find out whether he was actually going to Real Madrid or whether they're prepared to uh, spend the money it would take to get Alisson from Roma, which is probably going to be a minimum of €70 million. Euros. But certainly they've, um, they've inquired about him. Uh, But if if Alisson gets the move to Real Madrid, then uh, Schmeichel would be a candidate to go to Roma to replace Alisson, which would leave Chelsea looking for another um, goalkeeper that they'd have to find somewhere. And and what's interesting, again, in this, is that because of the absence of Michael Emanalo, because the the recruitment structure has changed at Chelsea, they don't seem to have a very... um, considered strategy for finding replacement players at the moment. They've gone back to kind of um, the way a lot of Premier League clubs operated um, several years ago, which is uh, asking agents who they have, who they can make available to them um, and asking agents for recommendations and players to sign, rather than uh, properly scouting the market and saying, this is the goalkeeper. Uh, we should be going for and doing the groundwork to get him, as they did obviously with Courtois, signing him from Belgium at a young age, at a young price, and getting one of the top goalkeepers in Europe um, far in advance of the competition. Um, really, the, the kind of degradation of, of where Chelsea are at a football club becomes more and more obvious by the week. And um, you can see the the um the upset of Chelsea fans that they, they're still um, they're getting just into pre season training and there's still no resolution on a change of manager and still no new players coming in and and I can understand their their upset
1: so there's another strand to this as well um, which um we haven't spoken about yet um, I was speaking to someone very close to the Spain squad um, this week um, regarding David Hayes um unusually poor performance in Russia at the World Cup and there is a feeling that De Gea is very, very, um, let's just say he, is, he feels compromised. Um, he's always saw himself as Real Madrid's number one at some point in his career. he is very much coveted and wanted, uh, sorry, I should say coveted by Real Madrid, but wanted at Manchester United. But Real Madrid have not come calling this summer as yet certainly with no concrete offer for him and the linking of Alisson and Courtois to Madrid I think has somehow, and it's been suggested maybe have clouded De Gea's performances um, for Spain in Russia because he feels like if he doesn't move to Real Madrid this summer then maybe his chance is gone despite the fact he's loved in Manchester and they've offered him a contract which would make him the highest big goalkeeper in the world. Now I can't help thinking that this has got this little drama, this merry-go-round, as you call it, Duncan, has got a few spins left in it yet. Um, Because I do think that De Gea has to come into the equation. Um, I think Courtois, as a former Atletico Madrid player, um, who wants to go back to Madrid, I think for family reasons as well, I I believe he may have um, at least one young member of a family, child there who is yeah, um, then, resident, resident that's Madrid. That's a big driving factor for him to yeah. want to go back. Yeah, so that's understandable, but it doesn't mean to say he can force a move to either Madrid club for the, for the reason of wanting to go back there. So um, I do think De Gea remains a factor here, uh, and I think that Florentino Perez has never really forgotten about David De Gea as the possibility um, of being the number one goalkeeper at Real Madrid, so... With regards to the merry-go-round, I think we've got as I say, a, a bit of a long way to go yet before it's sorted out. But um, And I still think there's a possibility we'll see Courtois seeking out his contract at Chelsea simply because there will not be someone willing to pay the money that Chelsea are asking for him, even the last year of his contract.
0: OK, we're going to move on now to the legendary quickfire round. And I suspect that, as usual, it's not going to be very quickfire because today is going to be the World Cup of World Cups. Yes, there's been a lot of debate on Twitter about this 2018 World Cup and how good it's been in relation to World Cups in the past. So I decided that the guys are going to go through the best World Cups, uh, starting in a quarter-final phase, and uh, I'm going to ask them which one goes through into each, in each heat to the semi-final, then the semi-final to the final. That makes... Probably no sense, but it'll all come together, I promise. It does every week. So we're going to start with you, Duncan. Bit of a tough one. 1970 versus 2002. Who goes through and why? Well, I'm not old enough to have seen the
2: 1970 World Cup, but um, yeah, that Brazil team is famous uh, and it is one of the classic World Cups. I'm going to go for 2002. Why? Because it's the first uh, World Cup I covered as a journalist. Um, I had the privilege of spending almost the entire month in Korea, um, covering one of the most exciting uh, football teams I've seen, and in, in, in some of the in a unique atmosphere. Um, those stadiums full of Korean fans were is something I've not seen anywhere else in my time covering football. And the way the first Asian World Cup was welcomed. Um, the, the sense around it, the spectacle of it um, I, as a as an event was something very special to me. So for, for personal reasons, I'm going to choose 2002. And I also like the fact that it, because I think because it was in Asia, because it was on a different continent, because the Europeans and the South Americans were both out of their comfort zone, we got a lot of unexpected results um, and we got African... Um, And uh, Asian teams progressing deep into the tournament, Turkey doing well, Um, uh, France, the holders disappearing uh, straight away, losing to a great Senegal team in the the first match. So there were lots of elements there. Um, So my personal choice is 2002. Okay, Ian,
0: 1978 versus 1982. We're going to give the millennials listening a wee history lesson.
1: Can I just say, I'm very disappointed, first of all, that Duncan didn't mention that he and I met at the 2002 World Cup and that wasn't his highlight of that particular tournament. That's
2: that fake. was the
1: second highlight, Ian. <laughs> Pardon? That was the second That was the second best thing that happened. At second the best thing. Oh, that's fair enough. All right. So, sorry, sorry, Johnny. Go on. So 1970 versus 1982. Well, look, both those tournaments, for me, um, as a non-millennial, because I did witness them both on television, um, were highlighted by two of the greatest goals ever scored. And obviously I'm talking about Gemmel. Gemmel. Still Gemmel. Only scored uh, against Holland in, in 78. And then, of course, Dave Neri's fantastic volley stroke topok against Brazil in 82. Um, as far as um, which one was the best, well... My overriding memory of the 1978
0: World Cup is two Well, played in fascist states, of course, at the time, I think. Pardon? Played in fascist states. Absolutely. by Governed by hunters, yeah. as we like to say.
1: So um, I say this, uh, 78's got to take it from me. One, because um, what we saw down the tube, uh, as it certainly was then, was a, a faraway nation absolutely immersed in football. There was a wonderful... Um, uh, and people of my age will remember this. The um, the theme music for the Argentina Sydney World Cup was fantastic, and it, it involved all the, the the ticker tapes coming down in the stadium in um, in the Boca Stadium uh, in in Argentina as well. And of course, uh, Jorge Valdano and Mario, Mario Kempes, two of my favourite all time players, who uh, participated and won the Sydney World Cup. So, despite um, the magnificence of eighty two. Um, I would have to say 78 was better.
0: OK, Duncan, 1986 versus
2: 1990. Well, um, well I have to say that I, I'm disappointed with Ian for not choosing David Neri's goal because since I'm going to be completely personally biased through all of this, I'm going to put David Neri's goal ahead of Archie Gemmels and I'm probably uh, one of about 20,000 people in the whole of Scotland who would do that.
1: And, and <laughs> by no, I, Johnny, he'll be on his tombstone as well. He can be shit of that. As Duncan, it's not Dave Nairis. <laughs>
2: um, I think 86 wins uh, between those two, and I think it, it, it wins uh, because of Diego Maradona and, um, and the famous uh, goal we saw in that match in uh, one of the outstanding World Cup performances um, of all
0: time. OK, Ian, this year, 2018... Or nineteen ninety eight.
1: No, um again, personal um sort of confession here. Ninety eight was the first World Cup I attended personally, and it was absolutely incredible. Um watched Scotland play um there. It was obviously Scotland's last appearance at any major tournament. Um watch Craig Burley dye his hair and then make it easy for the <laughs> referee to send them off against Morocco. Uh,
0: I saw you slaughtering him up for that on Twitter yesterday. I,
1: indeed, and he deserves every bit of it. Uh, however, um, <clears throat> people are talking a lot about this World Cup, Johnny, about the fact that uh, we've had great matches and that the le- the, fe- the playing field in terms of the favourites seems to be levelled. Um, is it because the the you know the big teams the the favourites have been poor, or is it because the the smaller teams have actually outperformed themselves? I think the Japan uh, versus Belgium match was. Sensational entertainment. Although I've really felt for the for Japan because I thought they played brilliantly during the game. Um, I'm not a fan of people saying it's it's the best tournament ever just because uh, Germany have gone out and Argentina have gone out um, and Spain have gone out. I don't think this that makes it the greatest tournament um, when the, when the, the you know the, some of the best players in the world, including well, Portugal as well, I should mention when they uh, exit the tournament. So I'm going to have to go for France nineteen. I, I, Partly for personal reasons, because of personal memories, uh, not Scotland's performances, obviously. But I remember being in the crowd in Paris, singing La Marseillaise with the French fans, um, out of sheer randomness, the fact I managed to get a ticket for a France game. And again, feeling that remarkable community of spirit that you only get at a World Cup when it's being hosted by a nation whose team are on it. And they look like they're going to go far. And by this I mean I'm, I'm going back to the quarter final, when, where it you know, felt like France might just might just make it, and it was utterly magnificent. And you know, I, I always had a soft spot for France ever since um, that dreadful incident um, in the World Cup in '82 when um, uh, the German goalkeeper took out uh, Schumacher. Schumacher, yeah. Uh, really, France should have won that tournament if I hadn't been for that tackle. It was absolutely horrific. And I remember being um, incredibly sorry for France then. So the fact that they uh, achieved sort of some kind of pathos in 98 makes me say 98 was, even though we're not concluded yet, but 98 was better than 2018.
0: OK, semi-final, Duncan. 1986 versus 1998. Both of those tournaments,
2: very enjoyable. Um, I, I like Ian's argument about uh, seeing the, the hosts go all the way um, to the end but I'm still with 1986. I still um, yeah, Diego Maradona, one of the great footballers of all time, and that was his tournament. Um, So I'm going to stick with
0: uh, 86 and put them in the final. And Ian, 2002 against 1978.
1: Again, um, like Duncan, who doesn't remember the fact that that was the first time we met uh, in 2002, uh, wonderful tournament. Based in Seoul and South Korea, wonderful, wonderful people never forget their generosity um, and their passion for football um, and I commuted to um, Japan for the England games et etc et etc and uh, had some wonderful memories from there um, it's a difficult it 's a difficult one um, but i 'm going to go i 'm going to go two thousand and two partly because of the incredible events, for instance. Uh, the Ronaldinho goal, which put England out in the quarterfinal and had David Seaman sobbing in the mix zone afterwards, saying, it's just so hard, guys. It's just so hard. And me thinking, "Yeah, it's not that hard, big man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Cruel. Okay, so we have our transfer window World Cup of World Cup final, which is going to be 2002 against 1986. I'm opening this up. It's a three for all, guys. Who wins?
2: I, I'm going to go for... I'm going to stick with 2002 and for the other side of it, which is the, the, the team that won it, um, I thought that Brazil team led by Luis Felipe Scolari, under huge pressure um, coming into the tournament were magnificent. Um, Ronaldo, uh, his goal scoring through the tournament, um, completely exceptional. Um, and, and quality uh, throughout the team, um, you know, players un, under um, underplayed players such as Gilberto Silva, who... Um, earned has moved to the Premier League off the back of that tournament and subsequently established himself as one of the best midfielders the, the Premier League has seen. I think they, um, that, combined with it being in Asia, um, the, the sort of background to the tournament and the way it was treated, the way people uh, behaved, the way the fans were during that tournament, that, that, that puts it at the top. It was also a classic World Cup final because you had Germany against Brazil in the in the final, and it sort of contrasted. Styles, so I get, I'd go that way.
1: So I'm going to disagree now, Johnny. I'm going to say 86, partly because um, it, 86 defined one of the greatest players that we've ever had the privilege of seeing. That was Diego Maradona, um, in playing in a way which you know it was magical and exceptional, and I think opened up uh, the world of football. To the wonder of Maradona, in a way that you know only the fans in Argentina or indeed of Napoli uh, and Barcelona may have seen. Let's just say it was the peak of Maradona's amazing career. I think in '86, because after then it went downhill. And we all know how it went downhill, and indeed during 2018 we've been seeing the um, consequences of Maradona's descent uh, into where he is right now. So, um, for that basis, I would I would argue '86.
0: Was better. Okay, well, that means I get the deciding vote and I'm going to plump for 1986 because it was a case of uh, perhaps the only time in World Cup history where one man drove a nation practically on his own to the World Cup title. And it was such an iconic performance by Maradona that for me that sneaks it ahead of, as Duncan says, what was a brilliant um, a multifaceted Brazil team. So... Transfer Window World Cup of World Cups is 1986. If only Lionel Messi could do the same, eh? (laughs) And with that, I'm slamming this particular transfer window shut. Just a reminder that we are looking for a sponsor, so if you like the idea of partnering with one of the UK's best football podcasts and talking directly to our listeners about your brand, get in touch through our social media channels. To continue the debate, we are all on Twitter and even have our own Transfer Window official account at Transfer Podcast. Now, we're looking to build a community on that account so everyone who follows will get a follow back. If you want to talk to us individually, I'm at Johnny R. McFarlane, and most importantly, our pundits are at Duncan Castles and at SJ. If you like the podcast, and we know thousands of you do, give something back by popping onto iTunes and giving us a five-star review, as this helps us to reach as many listeners as possible. The bigger the community, the more we can give you. It's that simple. We'll be back next Tuesday before 3pm. Until next time, thanks for listening.